Okay, this is the last teaching of 2020. And I am thinking back to when we started 2020. And in a million years, could we have imagined? <laughs> I mean, in a million years, we could not have imagined what was ahead this year. We couldn't have imagined the riots. We couldn't have imagined COVID. We couldn't have imagined the amount of hate and division that we've seen. And, and also, there's been an extraordinary amount of blessing, you know. But, we, but could we have imagined churches being closed? Could we have imagined, I mean, just the things that have happened in our lives. As a, as a country, but as individuals, you know, I was just like, well, what is the most important message to close out this incredible year, extraordinary year? And, you know, really, what stabilizes us in this time? What makes us different? What gives us power? What is the difference? And, and it boils down to intimacy with God, being able to hear his voice, being able to know truth, being able to experience his power, we're different. We're different in a crisis. And we certainly should be looking different, feeling different, being different. And I just started thinking back, so you guys know because you just did a little cake for my 50s, 40, um, when I turned 40, it was a time when I was coming out. I had a very powerful experience with the Holy Spirit in 2008, September of 2008. So I turned 40 in December of 2010. It had been a year and a half of coming out of chaos and pain and torment and all kinds of stuff, coming out of the dark and into the light. Um, that was 10 years ago. And by, so I had, for a year and a half, I had been in this extraordinary battle. And by the time I turned 40, I was a very different person than I had been in 2008, a year and a half later, a year and a half later, God had transformed me. And there was a lot of things that went into that, but so much of it was learning to hear from God and understanding what that looks like and the power of it. And so I want to pass on this power that cut away the confusion, that cut away the chaos, the, that sliced through all that. Mother Teresa, she said that she had a divine encounter with the Holy Spirit that made her go to Calcutta, become who she became, and she never told anybody because she said no one would believe it. And I, understand, I have had the most unbelievable experiences with God. I feel like I can't even tell them because they're so mind-boggling. Every once in a while, I'll tell a few, but it's just like, I mean, what I know is the Bible says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. He means it. He means it. And I'm going to talk about drawing near to him. I'm going to talk about intimacy. I'm going to talk about the way he wants us to hear. And, and we, if we can't hear, we don't have a center. So... We're going we're gonna to go to this, and one of, the, one of the things that was coming to my mind was when we were moving to North Carolina, so some of you know, some of you don't, but you know, we're from Philadelphia, God sent us to Oklahoma, where I thought that I had died and gone to purgatory, and I literally just spent the first like, year of this experience in Oklahoma just like soaking in bubble baths 
and red wine and self-help books. I literally had them stacked up to here. And then I had this powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit that changes everything, which is why we were sent there. And literally, after I was changed, and then it took a couple years and my husband began to change, then God was like, okay, you can go back to the East Coast. And he sent us back. And we were so happy to be back on the East Coast. But in that time, we had gone to, we were just ready to get back to the city. So we were like, my husband's you know, job is in the middle. We could kind of live anywhere. So we were, you know, moving to Chapel Hill. We were moving to Raleigh, Durham. We were, and so I had gone, I had jumped through these extraordinary hoops. I found this school for my daughter that was just, I mean, we literally, we had, she had to be, she was going into first grade. She had to be interviewed by the principal, a board. They had to have her blood type. I'm telling you, it was like insane. So we get, we jumped through all these hoops. We had to fly back repeatedly. She gets in. This is Chapel Hill. Then, we wanted, so we were leaving our home stage. So we go through this whole process where we find, we wanted a really modern house. We find this really modern house we could rent for a while. And they were like, oh, and just today, we just so happened to be able to rent this brand new modern furniture. Everything fell in place exactly the way we wanted it. Exactly perfect. And then I fly back to Oklahoma to prepare to move. And my peace started to fall. And every time I would read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, would, I would get a scripture that says, separate yourself, separate yourself, separate yourself. And I'm like, what does this mean? And then I'm like, and my husband will think I'm crazy. Like, I'm not, I'm not breathing a word of this to anybody. I've flown back and forth to Raleigh-Durham repeatedly. I've lined everything up. We have everything perfect the way we want it. But I didn't have peace. And I started to just be like, and, and, and the scriptures repeatedly said, separate yourself. And I didn't understand it. And finally, one night, I mean, I just couldn't sleep anymore. I couldn't, you know, and we're, we are starting school. Reagan's starting school in a week. And I said to Dave one night, I mean, I'm just like, I can't sleep anymore. I've got to, I said to him, for some reason, I don't have peace about moving to Raleigh Durham. And he says, I don't either. So we're like, what are we supposed to do? So we literally got down on our knees, held hands, and prayed, and said, God, why don't we have peace? You guide through peace. And every time I read the word, my husband wasn't really reading the Bible that much back then, but he, he believed in, you know, what I was, you know, he was a believer by then, just a brand new baby believer. And I said, every time I read the scripture, it says separate yourself. I don't understand it. Well, we got down on our knees. We prayed. And when we finished praying, we looked at each other, and simultaneously, at the exact same time, we said, it's Greensboro. The most amazing thing changed the course of our lives. I called. It was midnight when this happened. I called the school, said, Reagan won't be coming. I called the house rental, said, you can keep our deposit. We're not going to be moving into that house. I was like, if I don't do it right now, I'm afraid I will chicken out. But I had spent enough of my life not honoring the peace that I'd feel or the power of the word of God that I knew that no matter how scary it was, no matter how it seemed crazy, whatever it was, I knew that God was speaking to me through his word and through peace. And so we literally, I fly back, get back in a plane. I called my mom. My mom is just like, what are you talking about? Like, we just jumped through all the hoop. Everything's perfect. Everything lined up perfectly. I want to just say this. 
Just because something lines up perfectly does not mean it's God. That's a big, big, big trap. And I've seen that repeatedly in my life. We got here. This was hard. Greensboro was hard, not easy. Chapel Hill was lining up to be easy, not hard. But I can tell you this, it would have been easy in the beginning, but hard at the end. That's what I've learned when you don't listen to God. When you don't listen to God, it's easy in the beginning, hard at the end. When you listen to God, a lot of times it's hard at the beginning. But the blessing comes at the end. And I want to talk to you guys about that experience happened because of things I experienced. And I want to talk to you about being deceived. And I want to talk to you about how to sort through. And it comes with intimacy. It co- There's so many pieces. So I'm just going to launch into it. But the, the way the thing started was the Bible. Every day reading the Bible. So there's a lot of things in life that are not black and white. Like that was not a black, that's not a, that's not a thing that's in the Bible. You know, move to Greensboro, right? But God promises to give us wisdom. He promises to guide our path, which is the first scripture. My word, the Bible, is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It is the Bible that will guide you. And by the way, when it says a lamp, usually a lamp only gives you enough light for the next step. It's not a floodlight. You only know the next step. The only next step I knew to take was to move to Greensboro. Figure that step out. If I told you the miracle stories, because I wanted to tell you, it was miracle after miracle after miracle. It wasn't easy, but it was miracles. But he, had only, he only showed me the next step. Don't go, to, don't go to Chapel Hill. Go to Greensboro. One step. It is, but it is the word of God that illuminates the next step. And here's the other thing. God is not a God of confusion and disorder, but peace and order. If you have confusion, chaos, disorder, you need a halt. You need to back up. I, you know, I think to myself, I wish back in the days when I was dating, I would get kind of a check, and, but, but, you know, he was so cute, you know, and I just charged ahead with those relationships. And, and I, I got to tell you, it's funny because Kat and I have this thing, Satan never sends an ugly man, you know. It's always they're, they're charming and handsome. But anyway, he, but God sends handsome men too. But I'm just saying, you know, it's like listening to that piece. There was never once when I didn't first have a check that I just ignored. You know, really, when you have God in you, he will always give you a check. You just decide to override it because you want something more. But here's the thing. With Scripture, confusion fades. You will. If you bathe yourself in Scripture, the confusion will fade. You know, his word helps us not to feel fear. We can charge ahead. I could charge ahead into Greensboro. I had no fear. I was so peaceful. When everything was lined up perfectly, I didn't have peace. Uh, we moved ahead with Greensboro, and I was so at peace because the Word of God gives us these clues. But the thing is, the Word of God, God gives us hope. You know, he will speak to us through the Word of God. The thing is, we are in very serious peril of being deceived because of the times in which we live. Because of this time, the end times is when we are most likely to be deceived. Uh, It says so in Scripture constantly. It says the Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Christians are following 
deceiving spirits. They think they're following God. They're literally following something that's taught by a demon, and they don't even know it. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. I'm going to build a case for this because I want you to walk away understanding how on guard you have to be and why the things I'm telling you are so absolutely necessary because it is constantly through Scripture. By the way, there are a hundred scriptures. I was trying to sort through hundred scriptures about wolves in sheep's clothing. Hundred scriptures. God warns us over and over and over. And these are not even the wolves in sheep's clothing. These are well, some of them are, but these are just about deceit, being deceived. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, people don't follow a, a, a wrong path because they think they're following a wrong path. They're, they, are, they are misled. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as, as servants of righteousness. They look like they're righteous. The path seems like it's right. We don't follow wrong paths because we intend to follow wrong paths. We, it, Satan disguises himself literally as an angel of light. It is, it is part of the end times. We have to... We have to be aware of our vulnerability because God tells us over and over and over again, be on guard about being deceived by people, by pastors, by people in authority. By, you, have to, you have to be on guard. I, I did Second Peter. First of all, Second Peter has a lot about being deceived. I wanted to go through some of the highlights. Peter is so concerned. And, and I think, you know, Peter was a duplicitous person, right? That was his Achilles heel. We all have a weakness. His weakness was being duplicitous, right? He was two-faced. He was two-faced with Christ. He was two-faced other times. He was two-faced with the Gentiles and the Jews, if you know that story. So he realizes, you know, it, there's, there's a scripture that says that if you are a deceiver, you're always thinking you're being deceived. He realizes that this is a really vital problem in the church because it's been his problem. Like, whatever our problem is, we're aware of it, right, in other, other situations. So this is him, and he says, there will be false teachers among you. He says there will be. I mean, this is like on, on no uncertain terms. There will be deception. There will be. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will be, bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality, meaning the majority will follow what's wrong. So we can't follow the majority. You know, a lot of times the majority is wrong. The majority of the world thought the world was flat. I mean, majority often is wrong. So it says that many will follow these things because the, of these teachers, the way of the truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. I don't know if you guys are aware. I mean, I worked a college job for a while. And in my college job, uh, it, I did temporary work for a bank. And this bank had us opening mail, taking out checks, throwing away the letters. Except for the fact that once I realized what the letters were, it was to a TV evangelist. So into your miracle. So into your miracle. Send in $100. So into your miracle. There's nothing in scripture where you pay for miracles. There is reaping and sowing where, you know, we honor God with our first fruits and God honors us. So this man was having these people 
send in money in hopes, and the, the letters were gut-wrenching. I started reading the letters and praying over them. They had us put them in big, huge trash bags. They hauled them out to the trash. And after two nights, by the second night when I realized it was happening, I'm like, I am out of here. I want no part of this. This is evil. By the way, that man ended up in prison. So God got him. See, then that makes God look bad, right? It says, but this is what's good. This is helpful. Um, It says, but God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. For God did not even spare the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except Noah and seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. This is the important part. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what happened to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot. See, here's the thing. He's saying God rescues the righteous. God will rescue us. And this is what it says about Lot. It says, and this, it says he rescues Lot out of Sodom because, there's a reason why, because. Because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Here's part of the the situation. We cannot look at wickedness and be no big deal. See, Lot was saved because he was not okay with it. Lot was saved. Noah was saved because they wouldn't participate and they weren't okay with it. And that makes that, and, and there's a reason why they were saved. There's a reason why they were set apart. It says, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of the final judgment. God wants to rescue us. God wants to protect us from deception. God wants us to be the people that he, that he puts a hedge of protection around. But there's a part that we play in that. I wanted to read part of this more about Second uh, Peter. It says, it's talking about these deceivers. It says, they delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals, meaning they seem like friends. You're hanging out with them. You're going to dinner with them. They seem like friends, but they're deceivers. And this is what it says. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. I can't even imagine being under God's curse. That's a scary thing. That is a serious thing. We don't want that, right? It says they have wandered off the right road and followed deception, meaning at one point they were on the right road. They left the right road, but they want to take people with them. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. Here these poor people have been deceived. They've barely escaped. They're going out to dinner with so-and-so. And before you know it, they are lured right back into that thing. This is a pattern. This is a deception. This is a warning. And we've got to understand. We've got to be on our guard. We've got to be on our guard because this is the time in which we're living in. And this is huge for us. I think many of us know this scripture. It says, for the time will come where people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction 
that challenges them with God's truth, they're not going to take it. They're not going to tolerate it. They're not going to have it. Why aren't they? They want to have their ears tickled with things that they want to hear. They only want to hear what they want to hear. And here we are again with the majority. They will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after the other, chosen to satisfy their own desires and to support the error they hold. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and they will wander off into myths and man-made fiction. We will call man-made fiction and literally myth, mythology, God. The problem is, If we're duped into it, we suffer. Just because we're duped into it, just because we're deceived, does not mean we escape the suffering. We don't. We have to understand. We have to understand that it says that evil men and imposters will go from bad and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This, I'm starting out with something heavy, and I know this is a little bit heavy, and I know this is a little bit different than what I normally do, except for I felt an overwhelming need to warn and to show you that we are in, we cannot be the ones who are deceived. And by the way, we have a choice. And this is the important part. I mean, I know this is a lot of bad news. It's not, we're not going to stay in bad news, but I want you guys to understand how real the threat is. It's not like we're going to purposely go do it. You know, some of you know my, my testimony, but, you know, I was a Christian going along great. I mean, through a whole series of circumstances, a whole series of whatever, I derailed so bad I did not recognize myself. I mean, I just remember waking up and looking at myself going, who are you? And you're horrible, you know? And how do I get out of this? You know, I told you about that year and a half of kind of coming into the light. When I looked back after that year and a half, I had believed one lie after the other, after the other, after the other. And here's the thing. It wasn't a lie to me. I did not know I was believing lies. I did not know I was deceived. I thought, I thought everything I believed was truth. This is, it, Satan is very cunning. He's very cunning. You think about it with Adam and Eve at the beginning. You know, it's just a little lie and a little lie and a little lie. And it takes a bunch of little lies before you know what you have built. It's called a stronghold. It's called spiritual stronghold. You have built a spiritual stronghold in your mind. You do not know the difference between lie and truth. This is happening all over the place with Christians. And I feel like this when I see it. I just feel like I'm I'm crushed by it because I know what it feels like. And I know what it's like to not even know that you're believing a lie, to not even know it. So this is what it says. It says, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit, you must test them to see if the Spirit they have come from is from God. There are many false prophets in the world. There are many. Let me tell you something. When I was believing lies, I had a lot of support. I had so much support in my life. And by the way, Satan sent me people to double down on the things. I mean, I'm telling you, all the way down to my dental hygienist. I mean, people like random people I barely knew. She'd be like, I had a dream about you. And this dream supported every lie I'd I'd ever believed. And I'd be like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. What I'm saying is, how do we do this? It says, do not let anyone deceive you in any way. How? The onus is on us. So, So God's not saying I'm going to, like, miraculously keep you from deception. He's saying, you, don't let anybody deceive you. It's your job 
It's my job not to be deceived. So it's on me. It's on me. I don't get to play, like, hold up the victim card and be like, oh, I was deceived. I'm a victim. I was deceived. I, and by the way, when I, when the very first thing, I'd never fasted in my life before, didn't even really know that was a thing. This was like a, 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 the extraordinary way I found out about fasting is just mind-boggling. But anyway, I found out about fasting through a very, you know, unbelievable situation. And I did my very first fast. And you know what the very first thing God told me in my very first fast? Because God speaks to you when you fast. The very first thing he ever told me, he said, stop pointing the finger at anybody else. You stand here right here right now. Society is all about blaming everybody. He was like, you, I'm not going to heal one thing. I'm not going to do anything. You, it was your job not to be deceived. It was your job. So it says, see to it, your job, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies that come from human thinking. And from spiritual powers of this world, demonic powers, see to it, your job. Do not let yourself be deceived, um, it, rather than following the truth of, of the gospel. Here we have Peter again, Second Peter. He's so, I love, if, you, if you're struggling with deceptive, deception, read Second Peter. It is so powerful. It says, this is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. So it's all about the way we think. What are we thinking that will help us know whether it's truth or not truth? It says, most importantly, I want to remind you that the last days scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Over and over and over again, it's going to be about doing what you feel like. Your own desires. Our own desires. Our heart is deceptive above all else. It's following how we feel. It's following our heart instead of the truth. And so it says they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus was coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Here's the thing. I used to hear this when I was in college. I was a little sister for a fraternity. And um, I don't know what it was. These guys constantly would say this. They would say, they would say this very line. They would say, you know, supposedly God was supposed to come back a long time ago. And supposedly, you know, there, there was a flood. And supposedly God created the world. Well, he never did create it. What it says here is amazing. It says they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. They deliberately forget. They deliberately forget that God spoke and there was life. They deliberately forget this. It says, so be on guard that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your secure footing. When we believe lies, we are literally carried away like on a raft. And we are no longer securely standing. We are not flat on our back. If you go back and look at the things in your life where you have regret, where you have shame, where you have pain, you will find that you believed a lie. There was a deception there. This person is going to make me happy. I need this. Just fill in the blank. I mean, there's so many different things. You know, my husband, his career was everything to him. You know, he was made a CEO of a large company in his 20s. And he had, he had had dreamt of being CEO of this company since he was a young child. It was an impossibility. And it was that company. And that was the thing that was going to make him happy. And he lived for it. He breathed for it. He, he was made CEO in his 20s. I mean, it happened. And it cost him absolutely, positively everything. 
and it absolutely positively came to nothing. I mean, I can't even tell you it cost him his health, it cost him our marriage, it cost him his relationships with every single friend, it cost him. What I'm saying is it was a deception. It was a deception that this is what it has to be. And, and you know, what's great is when we're deceived and we realize it, God will, God will, he's merciful, right? He's merciful. But, but the point is that's how we get scars. So what I want to talk to you about today is how we don't get those scars. I have one more, and it says, the great dragon was thrown down, the age-old serpent who is called the devil Satan. He who continually deceives and seduces the entire world. I'm just saying, there is a seduction, there is a deception, and we are responsible not to be party to it. And there is hope that we won't be. And there is a way through it. And so that's, where, that's kind of all the heavy bad news. Now we get to move on to what's good. But, I, but what I wanted to do before I did this is I really, I really want you guys to understand the danger of it. I really want you guys to understand. And it's, and it's you know, it could be big things. It could be little things. It could be something as maybe innocent as providing for your family a career like my husband's. You know, it can be the gossip that we feel like we have to pass on that destroys us and others. You know, I do a lot of, I spend a lot of time trying to help women get free of things. You know, the things that we feel, I mean, whatever we fill ourselves with, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times women fill themselves with, let's say, food. That's going to comfort me. Well, in the end, it abuses you, right? The thing that you go to for comfort that isn't God will eventually be your abuser. I mean, I'm telling you, if it's a man, that thing, if that's your God, if that's the thing that you have to have, it won't last. Eventually, that thing will break your heart. You know, if it's, if it's shopping, you know, eventually the credit card bills. I mean, I, you just name it. Whatever it is, there is only one source. And so, we, and, and so this is the thing. What I see, for the most part, is Christians kind of almost in the fetal position, especially as we watch what's happening in the world. We are literally like almost like just trying not to get bludgeoned. We're just trying to somehow survive. We're just trying. We're, I mean, what we see on the news is so scary, and what we're facing even in maybe our personal lives, I mean, it's like it's more about surviving than thriving. It's more about just, how do I get out of a fetal position? And, and it's more about, like, I don't even want to leave my house. I don't want to even, you know, like, I, I just need to protect myself and my little family. Like, you know, it, it becomes, the world gets small. The world gets very small when we're like that. And here's the thing. We were never, ever created. That's not who we were ever created to be. We were created to be absolute warriors. We were created to be so powerful. We were created to be, you know, I, I think somehow we've gotten, like, fat, dumb, and lazy as Christians. Like, it's literally like we've come to this uh, uh, feeling that, you know, what matters is our comfort or our whatever, instead of understanding that when that's what our focus is, you end up in a fetal position on the couch. If we understand that we were meant to run at things, to be fearless, to be powerful, to be strong, to be overcomers and that we are equipped for it no matter what it is, that we were equipped to be fighters. And if we're not in the fight, then something's wrong. 
if we are if we are hiding in the, the, the behind the shutters of our doors, something's wrong. If whatever is challenging us, we don't feel like we can run at something's wrong. We were created to be warriors. We were created to be overcomers. Here we go. It says, for though we walk and live in the flesh, we don't carry on warfare according to the flesh, using mere human weapons. Okay, this is warfare. This is war. We are at war. If we're living on this life, if, we're, if we live here, we're supposed to be at war. We're, we are supposed to be fighting back. We're not supposed to be bludgeoned in a little fetal position. We are supposed to be fighting back. We're supposed to understand how to fight back, but we don't do it with mere human strength. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. We go to war. It just doesn't look the way it does with the rest of the world. Our war looks different. It says that they are mighty before God. The weapons we have, your weapons, my weapons are mighty before God. You guys, that's strong language. Mighty before God. You are mighty before God. What are you facing? You're mighty before God. You have the, the weapons that you need. They are mighty before God for the overthrow, to overthrow and the destruction of mental and emotional strongholds. I just want you to look at this again. I'm going to read it. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of mental and emotional strongholds. Casting down imaginations, that's the things that get us confused, and every high and lofty thing that exalts itself above the true knowledge of God, we bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. We are equipped to overthrow. Any stronghold in, your, in yourself, but guess what, also in other people, also in the world, also everywhere else. And you know what? We're not doing this because if we were, we would be changing the world. Instead, we're trying to keep ourselves from, we're, we're ducking and hiding and trying to keep ourselves from being destroyed. Instead, listen, think about Daniel. I mean, think of, well, you could think about Daniel, but I was thinking about David. When they were just trying to hide and survive Goliath, he just kept advancing on them and advancing on them and gaining the ground. When finally there was one person who's like, I'm not afraid, and I'm running at you in the strength and the power of Christ with the weapons that he's given me, which is a silly little weapon, like a silly little rock, and, but that's all I need if I have the armor of God. That's all I need. Then you overcome. Then you, you, you keep that, that back life goes falling down in a second. But it's, it's about understanding your weaponry. You know, it's understanding that we are at war. Here's the thing. We have the armor of, God, of Christ. Everybody knows that he says you have the armor of Christ. It's first the helmet of salvation, right, that protects your thinking. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, which keeps us from, which keeps us from, our, protects our heart. The buckle of truth. Right here, you're going to know in your gut what truth is. You all know you get that gut punch and you know what truth is. So you've got, you've got helmet of salvation, that protects the way you think. Breastplate of righteousness protects your heart. Buckle of truth, you feel it in your stomach. You know what truth is. Shoes of peace that keep you from knocking down. When, you're, when you lose your peace, you're on your back. The second you have lost your peace, you have fallen down. And then you've got the, the shield of faith that protects you from the, the arrows, all of those are defensive 
defensive, right? How to protect yourself. There is only one offensive thing that God gives us, and that is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And what I want to talk to you guys today is understanding how to use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I want to talk to you about the power of the word of God. It says the word of God, the Bible, is living, it's alive. There is life. It is active. It is powerful. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. Okay, this is life. The word is life. The word is power. The word is active. And if we understand that the word of God is literally a sword, it's the one thing that you can use in a duel with the enemy. And, we, and here's the thing. I know because I talk to a lot of people, I, people don't know their Bibles. I mean, I can't tell you how many times. And listen, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying we've got to change it. But I can't tell you how many times I'm in talks and, and somebody will say, you know, this, well, this is from the Bible. And I'd be like, well, no, that's actually Abraham Lincoln. Or this from the Bible. And I'm like, well, that's actually Gandhi. I mean, like, or, or this is from the Bible and it's Freud, which, by the way, Freud was a sicko. You know, really, psycho- psychology has become, has replaced a lot of scripture. And people don't even know that they're believing something that is a deception And I swear to you, it is a deception. Not that there can't be truth in it, but there's so much self-centeredness wrapped up in it that people, the more, I don't know, I've helped a lot of people who have been to decades of therapy and just needed more therapy and more therapy and more therapy, and they can't figure out why they can't get better. And I'm like, I'm going to tell you how you get better. The word of God, it works. The word of God is life. The word of God is power. The word of God will set you free. You know how I know that? You know how I know? And I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me. They've they've gone away. They've gone away to rehab. They've gone away for months. They've gone away. I cannot tell you. I mean, I just, like, I have so many stories. I feel like my head could explode. But person after person after person, and I'm like, listen, it's a spiritual problem. You're only getting worse. You're dumping more and more and more money. I know why this works, and I'm going to tell you why it works. I went to therapy. I took the drugs that are supposed to help your brain get, you know, normalized. I did all that. Check those boxes. And guess what? I did not get better. I literally sunk lower and lower and lower. And then I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and I realized it was the Word of God that was going to set me free. It's the Word of God that was my sword. It was the Word of God that was going to make me powerful and strong. And I literally wrote down promises on three-by-five cards, put them on a ring, and wherever I went, I t- if I was on hold, I read those scriptures. I remember being at Whole Foods, signing my receipts. They were my, they were my breath. It was how I could breathe. Maybe none of you have ever been sunk that low, but let me tell you something. When you are drowning, and there's a promise in the scripture, and you read it, and you cling to it, pull up, you have a breath of air. It lasts for a couple seconds, and you start to sink back down, because it's a climb. You climb out of holes like this. You didn't get in them in a minute, 
and you don't get out of them in a minute, but the way out is the word of God. And I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again. And I have watched person after person after person be free, but you have to read it. You have to study it. You have to devour it. It, the, the, the Bible says that when you study and devour the word of God, it literally goes down into your body and becomes part of you the way your food does. You know, they say we are what we eat. You are what you eat spiritually. If you devour the word of God, it will become power to you. It will put a sword in your hand. It literally will. It says it penetrates as far as the division of soul and spirit, the completeness of a person. Your soul is your personality. Your spirit is the part that connects with God. The sword of the spirit of the word of God will literally divide them so you can get free. Your soul will keep your spirit in bondage because it's believing lies. But the word of God will divide that so you can have freedom and you can have power and you can help other people. It's truth. Here, the bottom line is the word of God is truth. We have no other true north. Listen, we have no other truth. We don't know who to believe anymore. We don't know what news we can believe. We don't even know who's president right now. We don't know anything. We don't know if we can go to church or stay home or have Thanksgiving. or I mean, everything's upside down. We know nothing. We don't know what to believe. Everything is, but there's one thing you believe, and that it is this, and this is power, and this is life, and it will give you life. You know, I just, it's like, I feel compelled to plead with the, with the people of God to devour the word of God. There's a heaviness in the, in the spirits of, of Christians right now. There really is. There's a heaviness. Which, by the way, look, listen, Lot was heavy, right? He said, I looked around. The reason God spared Lot is because when he looked around and he saw things being so wrong, he didn't feel okay with it, right? It says, why... King David said this, why are you in despair, oh, my soul? And why are you restless and disturbed within me? Which, by the way, when you're off spiritually, you're restless and disturbed. You can never get to peace. You're edgy. You feel it. You're churned up. You know, you just, you can always feel it. And it says, hope in God. Wait expectantly for him, for I will again praise him. The help of my sad countenance is my God. I mean, this is where we have a heavy spirit because we see what's going on. This is our cure. This is our cure. I want to just read what I wrote. I said, God's word is truth. It is fact. It is reality. And it is alive. It's a matter of life and death, physical, spiritual, and mental. Let's use this spiritual weapon. It's easy to fall into a demonic spirit of heaviness these days. His word is our weapon to defeat heaviness. We were called to fight. We were called to fight. We were called to fight it. The battle belongs to the Lord. And really, honestly, before I go on, on I, just, I just say, in the name of Jesus, I break the spirit of heaviness. I just break it off in the name of Jesus. It's that easy. I break off the spirit of heaviness that so easily consumes us. I said the enemy, the Bible says that the enemy comes at us one way, but he will flee seven. The enemy will flee from us seven ways. The Bible says it. He says the enemy will come at us. He just says that when we use our sword, he will flee seven. The problem is is that most Christians don't even pick up their sword. 
They're not using their sword. They're just being devoured because all they have on is the defensive armor. And if all you have when you have an enemy running at you is your defensive armor, you're like this all the time. You might not be destroyed, but you spend your life like this. But, but the point is we pick up our sword, and the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. How do you resist it? Resist him, the word of God. I'm going to show you that. He says the enemy will come at you one way. He will flee seven. Is the enemy fleeing your life in seven different directions? Because if not, I think you probably aren't using your sword. I cannot tell you the number of crazy things that happens in this household where the enemy just comes at us and, and he does not prevail. He does not prevail. He, because we pick up that sword. We know the word of God. You know, it says in the, in the scripture that Jesus makes the darkness tremble. So when you enter a situation, does darkness tremble? Does it go running? Or is it like, I'm not afraid of her. She doesn't have a sword. She's just going to sit there and cover up with a shield, but she's no threat to me. We need to be a threat to darkness, to deception, to lies, and it's through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Word of God. Here's the, here's the crazy thing. This is, this is the, the crazy thing. There's a duel, a sword fight between Jesus and Satan, and we see it in Scripture. Satan uses Scripture against Jesus, and Jesus uses scripture against Satan. Maybe you've never thought of it this way. It says, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days. Then the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, he always tries to get us to doubt the power of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scripture says, how did Jesus fight Satan? Swords. Scripture says. He used the Bible. He, didn't, he is the Son of God. He didn't even quote himself. He quoted Scripture to defeat him. Then the devil says, he takes him up and he says, I can give you all the kingdoms. I can do all this stuff. Which, by the way, Jesus did not dispute the fact that Satan did have ownership of those kingdoms. And Satan did have whole entire cities under his control on this earth. That's real. It is real. So Jesus didn't say, no, you, you don't have control of those things. He, he didn't, he, but what he did say is, Jesus replied, the scripture says, what did Jesus do? Took out the sword, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So then Satan's like, okay, I'll beat him at his own game. What did he say? Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem, to the highest point in the temple, and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scripture says, now Satan's quoting scripture. Now Satan's quoting scripture. He will order his angels to protect you and guard you. And they will hold you up with your hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. The scripture does say that. Satan was right. The scripture said that. So Satan knows how to use scripture against us. Satan quoted scripture. He just quoted it completely out of context. And so Jesus responds. The scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. And then it says that Satan went away and came back at a more opportune time. Do you see this as a sword fight? But here's the thing, Satan knows how to quote scripture to us. Here, just because it's scripture does not mean it's going to bring freedom. You have to know it in context. You have to know the word. The word of God can only be a sword if you understand it within the context that it was used. Satan took a verse, he pulled it out, he used it out of context, and 
you know, he does that. I mean, of course, if he does that to Jesus, how much more is he going to do it to us? Satan will use scripture against you. I can't tell you how many people I counsel who live in guilt and shame and condemnation day after day after day after day because of a scripture that's taken out of context. I, I can't tell you the things that are justified in people's lives. And they're like, but the Bible says, I'm like, yeah, that, I, I, I was at a Bible study not that long ago, and this woman said, evolution is true because the Bible says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And I said, that's taken out of context. How did I immediately know that? Because I know the scripture. I said, that is in reference to God's promises. It's completely, and as a matter of fact, it's taken out of context because it's talking about the very thing where it's saying that people deliberately forget that God created the world. He literally uses that scripture to prove that evolution isn't real, that he literally spoke it into existence, and it was. Point is, we have to know scripture in context. It is our weapon, and it is power, and it is truth. It is vital. Our family reads the Bible from beginning to end as a family every year. We read it from front to back. And I can't encourage you enough to do this with your children. Do it while you can because, you, you know, there's a time when you can't do it anymore. But it is the greatest gift. I, I, for Reagan, she knows this is my one thing that I will not compromise on. It, it, listen, it takes like 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day. I mean, it doesn't take long. You, you read the Bible from front to, front to back. You know, it says in the Bible, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. There's no better way to train up a child in the way they should go than to understand Scripture in context. There's a promise that comes with that. And, you know, I've had people say to me, well, you know, they're going to have a bad attitude about it. They're not going to feel like it. They're not going to want to do that. And I'm always just like, I'm so confused by that because they don't want to brush their teeth. I mean, they don't want to go to school. You know, we think about what we, what we go through to educate our children, yet we don't even make them read through the scripture from the beginning to end. By the time Reagan goes to college, I think she'll have read through the Bible from the front to the back eight times. I can't give her a greater gift than that. Can't give her a greater gift because she will know the truth. Even if she wants to ignore it, you know, it says, I send out my word. It always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You know what? Even if my kid doesn't want that scripture to take root, it will, which thankfully she does. But, but by the way, when I started making her do this, she didn't. She was so – you would have thought I was torturing her. You would have thought I was waterboarding her. I kid you not. I mean, this was not what – you know, and I'm like, this is a hill I'll die on. There's a lot of hills I don't die on. I pick them really carefully. But I, and she knows when I say something like that, I mean, I'm like, this will, I will go down on this one. This is the one thing that you will do. I send her to school without brushing her teeth, without brushing her hair. I mean, I got a letter from her first grade teacher saying, would you please brush her hair? Because <laughs> she has very long hair. Her hair would be like this. And I'm like, that's just not my hill. But, you know, I'm like, I'm just not dying on that one. But I am dying on the Bible because it will produce fruit. It says, praise the Lord, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. I mean, who doesn't want that? I, I'm just saying, like, who doesn't want that for their kids? 
I want my kid blessed. The greatest gift I can give her is this Bible in context so she can't be deceived because as much as our generation is deceived, there's a deceived even more. So, I mean, how much more do they need it? It is a hill to die on. I want to tell you guys, so Spirit Rising, um, which you guys know is my other ministry, part of that leadership team, I think there's like 12 or 13 of us, a requirement for that leadership team is to read through the Bible every year. And we read through it together every year. There's a Bible app you can get on your phone. We have a, um, it's called Vox. It's an app where you can talk like it's, it records your, so what we do is, you know, you do the Bible app. It's like 15, 20 minutes a day. You do the Bible app, and if you have questions, you can box them. I want to invite anybody to join us to do this. This year, we do it a different way every year, but this year we are um, going to read through it as it happened chronologically in history. It's very interesting. So instead of reading from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to read through from the very first writings all the way through, of course, to Revelation, which is always the last. But as it happened chronologically in history, which is a just a, a powerful way to read it. And then if you have questions, you can get on the box and ask questions and get answers. It is, the, it is amazing. So I pray that you guys will think about joining Spirit Rising because I'm telling you, when you do this, so it's funny because the Lord asked me to tell the leadership. He told me this almost a year in advance. He's like, next year, God's asking everybody for three years in a row, we're going to read through from beginning to end. And honestly, when we first started this year, you would have thought that I was Chinese water bordering them too. I mean, like, I was just like, you guys are full, full-fledged full adults. My daughter's already read through the Bible front to back three times. Like, you're, you know, she, she because it's on box, so she could hear. So she's in the car. She's like, Mom, I can't even, like, like she's incensed because she's already, you know, she's like, they're adults. Like, you know, and I'm like, yeah, because it, it requires a little discipline. This says they themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last forever, like light shining in darkness for the godly. They are generous and compassionate and righteous. God comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. This is the whole point. This is how we're not overcome by evil. All these scenarios, whether it was Noah, whether it's Lot, whether it's today's time, evil is always trying to overcome the righteous. This is how we keep from being overcome. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. Are we fearing bad news? You know, I mean, I I just honestly, like with this whole coronavirus, I've really asked God, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? You know, so for example, the other day my daughter wanted to go to the mall. I'm like, no, you're not going to the mall. We're having a spike. That's a lack of wisdom. When she wanted to go to Nashville and she wanted to go to that church and she wanted to do you know, that we went to Nashville. We spent an entire weekend there. We went to church. We, we got ministered to by God. We go to church. We, I'm just like, I'm going to do what God asked me to do, and I have zero fear about it. I have zero fear. When God is asking me, I'm going to open up my home and have Bible study. I'm going to, we've had help prayer vigils in here. I'm like, whatever, if God's asking me to do it, I don't fear it, not for a second. I mean, my life is in his hands. I gave him my life a long time ago. You know, it, it is not to chance. It is not to chance. It is whatever God is going to do. So we don't fear bad news. They confidently trust in the Lord to care for them. 
Are you confidently trusting in God to care for you when it comes to coronavirus, when it comes to election, when it comes to all these things? Not that we don't care. Not that we're irresponsible. Not that we're foolish. There's a difference. There's a difference in confidently trusting in the Lord. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. Is that how we feel? Because, see, God, his word says he takes us from higher to higher. God says that we are fearless, confident, overcomers. We don't fear anything bad. I mean, not, and by the way, when you, get, when you get bad news, there's hardly ever a time where it's not just a gut punch. It takes you a minute. And there's no guilt in that, you know. It takes a minute. So it's like you, you feel like you get knocked down. The difference is we get up quickly. We quickly say, what does the Bible say about this? The Bible says all things work together for good to those who love and are called according to his purpose. Okay. You know, the Bible says, I don't fear bad news. I know God's caring for me. I'm not afraid of coronavirus or anything else. I love the scriptures. It says, you are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. If you feel hopeless at all, get your three-by-five cards, put them on rings, and carry them everywhere you go. It is your source of hope. Get out of my life, you evil-minded people. By the way, I cannot wait. I'm going to do another one on boundaries because we have this mixed, skewed view that people who are trying to do us harm or lead us into bad paths, we're just supposed to be an open door to. Well, here you see, you see, get out of my life. You're evil. You're trying to bring evil to me. Um, it says, for I intend to obey the commands of my Lord and God, sustain me as you promised that I may live. Do not let my hope be crushed. Sustain me and I will be rescued. Then I will meditate continually on your decrees, on your word. And then it says, but you have rejected all those who stray from your decrees. They are only fooling themselves. Here we are back into, if we, if we don't really believe the, the word of God, if we don't really believe it, we will be fooled and we will fool ourselves. If we don't really believe it, we will only be fooling ourselves. Uh, you know, it says if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, he's like a man who looks very carefully at his natural face and forgets. In other words, we all know what we look like when we wake up in the morning. You know, it's like you got to do something about that mess. You know, it's like, so he's like, you got to look, the word of God shows you what the mess is. But you have to actually do something about the mess. It says, he who looks carefully into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and faithfully abides by it, not be ha- becoming careless listener. We can't be careless when we hear this. But who, who actively does and obeys, he will be blessed and favored by God. We need the blessing, the favor, and the protection of God. We need it desperately. We need it desperately. And how do we get it? By doing what the word says. This is a very scary scripture. God detests the prayers of people who ignore his law. We don't hear that very often. He detests our prayers when we're blowing him off, when we're ignoring what his word says. I mean, he doesn't even want to hear our prayers. He's like, listen, this is how this works. You do what I tell you to do. And I'm going to help you out. But, you know, you first listen to the word, study the word. It all comes back to the word of God, our sword. Blessed and favored by God is a man who fears sin and its consequences all the time. There's only one thing we're supposed to be afraid of, and that's disobeying the word of God. 
There's only one thing we're supposed to be afraid of for our children, and that is them not following the word of God. That's the only fear in scriptures. That's the only fear we're supposed to have. We are not supposed to fear anything else, but we are supposed to be scared to death to live in sin because it opens the floodgates wide for Satan. The one who comes to kill, steal, destroy, it opens it up and it gives him permission. Jesus died to give us abundant life. But when we ignore the word, it says, but he who hardens his heart and is determined to sin will fall into disaster. See, one side, when we, when we study the word and obey the word, there's constantly promise for protection. If we are stubborn and harden our heart, he's promised disaster. I, I don't know if I'm the only person in the room who's had disaster in their life, but <laughs> I have had disaster. I promise you, I've never had disaster because I follow God too much. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been left out of things. I've been, you know, I mean, you know, God's word, there's a price to it. But it's not disaster. Disaster, chaos, ruin comes from disobeying God. Blessed are those who fear to do wrong. Now, we have fear not commands, like, what is it, like 400 times in the Bible? Fear not over and over again. But it tells us constantly to fear disobeying the word of God. That's what we are supposed to fear. Blessed are those who fear to do wrong. But the, but the stubborn are headed for serious trouble. Listen, most of the time when we do wrong, somewhere in the back of our mind, even if we're deceived, we're like, this probably isn't right. I just can't stop myself. But you can, because it's given us armor. And that's the scripture. I will never forget your commandments. For by them you give me life. You save my life. The Bi- here it says, the Bible saves my life. Do you want your life saved? Do you want it blessed? Study it in context. In context. The blameless will be rescued from harm. I mean, it's over, but the crooked will be suddenly destroyed. I mean, these are promises. There's, there's promise for destruction, and there's promise for blessing. And we choose. We choose our path. We get to choose. And it's all found in the word of God. He who walks blamelessly and uprightly will be kept safe. Listen, how worried are we about being kept safe? I hear it nonstop. If I hear that word on the news one more time, I'm going to lose my ever-loving mind. You know, the mask is going to keep you safe. That mask isn't keeping me safe. My Lord is keeping me safe. I got something that's keeping me safe. I got something that's keeping me alive. I've got something that has determined my days before I was born. He knows the hair on my head. And I know what's keeping me safe. You know, there is, it says, he, the blameless and upright will be kept safe. You know what's keeping me safe? Studying the word of God, following the word of God, listening to the word of God, that's what keeps you safe. But he who is crooked and perverse will suddenly fall. I mean, how many times does he have to say it? You got, and there's no middle ground. You guys notice that? It's like one or the other. You're on one path or the other. The lukewarm Christian, in Revelation, God talks about the lukewarm Christian. That's somebody who's trying to figure out, how can I stay in the middle? I really don't want to be all in one way or all in the other. I just want to hang out here in the middle. And what does, what does the Bible say about that? That guy, that girl, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's the analogy that, that God uses for somebody who's just trying to hang out in the middle. He said, I, God says, I reject you. I will spit you out of my mouth. 
lukewarmness is he and then in the bible then he says i would rather you be hot or cold i'd rather you not be in my camp at all because you hanging out here trying to hang out here in the middle you're giving me you're making me look bad because people who are hanging out in the middle are giving god a black eye they're not powerful they are not running at things they're hiding from things listen the second you have to hide from something you know you're on the wrong path you know, I used to have a thing when I was in college. I would think, if I can't tell my parents something, I am doing something I shouldn't do. And it was my litmus because I would very much be able to justify in my mind things that I was doing. And I would think, yeah, but could I tell my mom and dad this? You know, and I'd be like, no. So I'm like, okay, I'm hiding something then. I didn't like to call it hiding, you know. But the second you're hiding Second, you have a secret that you really can't, you know, tell anybody because, you know, then guess what? You're now in lukewarm camp is where you are. Um, and, you're, and it's dangerous because you're headed for destruction. He who trusts confidently in his own heart, what are we talking about, trusting ourselves, is a dull, thick-headed fool. I wonder if he could mince words here. <laughs> like, he doesn't mince words. Don't trust in your heart. Don't trust in yourself. But he who walks skillfully and with godly wisdom will be rescued. Rescued. We need rescue now more than ever. You will be rescued when you walk in godly wisdom. Here's the thing that I need to tell you, though, about studying the Word of God. This is really vital. We, we ask ourselves, are we going up higher in our lives? Because there, the Bible promises that he takes us from higher to higher. So are we going from higher to higher in our lives? If we are not going from higher to higher, I guarantee you, you need to spend more time with the Word of God. Because when you spend time with the Word of God, he takes you higher because it is life and it is power. One of the things we do is we throw him a little tiny scrap bone and think that he should be thrilled with this. Like, and I'm not knocking my daily bread at all. But back, you know, us old folks, back in the day, we'd have these little, our daily bread, which were very sweet, and they were lovely, and I loved them, and I read them all the time, and they were very uplifting. And it took maybe a minute and a half. And I'd be like, okay, check that box. See, my scripture reading was a burden to do thing. It really was. I felt like it was something I had to do, kind of like exercise, like all right, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do that, you know, and then I would do it until all of a sudden I discovered that this is the only offensive weapon I have until I found out it is the way that I overcome. And when I understood that, I changed how I felt about it. And it wasn't a legalistic thing. It wasn't a checklist thing. It was something that I was just like, I have to have this to breathe. But I, I want to just talk to the scraps that we think we throw God. And I want to show you that we, we might need to examine it. You need to ask yourself if you need to examine it. Because I want to show you how God feels about it. So he tells them in the Old Testament, don't give me a sacrifice that has any defect or injury, such as lameness, blindness, any other serious defect. You shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. God's like, don't give me something broken. Give me your best, right? So what happens? The Lord of Heaven's armies says to the priest, by the way, that is my favorite title for God. 
the Lord of Heaven's armies. I love that picture. He is a warrior. God is conducting war with his angels. He is the Lord of Heaven's army. And he says to his priests, a son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? They're like, wait, we always say good things about you. We always, he says, you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. And see, look, they're oblivious. They're oblivious to what they're doing wrong. Then they say, how have we defiled the sacrifices? They're like, wait a second. We, we, we read our daily bread for two and a half minutes. What are you talking about? He said, you defiled my, you defiled my temple by saying, the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals a sacrifice, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is. And it's actually for taxes. They had to give those for taxes back then. Says the Lord of Heaven's armies, Lord of Heaven's armies, go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Ask the Lord of Heaven's armies. How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. Man, he wants us to understand his position. And I will not accept your offerings, but my name is honored by people to other nations from morning till night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great among other nations, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. But you dishonor my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you are saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord, and you turn up your nose at my commands says the Lord of Heaven's army. It says, Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of Heaven's army, and my name is to be feared among nations. I'm afraid we throw him some bones, and we think he should be thrilled with our scraps. And he's saying to us, I'm a great king. I, de- I deserve the best. You know, it's interesting. I feel really um, compelled. I am the sharpest early in the morning. I'm an early morning person. And I really want to exercise then because if I don't exercise first thing, I don't get it done. And can I tell you, the Lord has said to me, whether you do or don't get your exercise done, you give me your best time, which is when you first get up. You give me your best. And I, I, t- I really like kept going back and forth because then I would just never ever exercise and it was like literally would just go on and he's like figure that out but I am a great king you give me your best you don't give me scraps you don't throw me a bone and it's not about measuring the amount of time you know it's not like okay well I'm supposed to clock in for 30 minutes this isn't a job this is power it is life it is our the only truth we have and it is blessing Look at this. I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. This is how you get courage. This is how you get strength. Keep me from lying to myself. Anybody who isn't afraid of being deceived by themselves 
is too prideful to understand that they have a problem. Already they have pride. Any single person who's like, well, I'll never be deceived, that's a prideful person right there. There is nobody who can say that. There's nobody. You know, King David said, search me and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. We all have to be concerned about being deceived. Nobody's above it. Nobody. So it says, keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instruction. This is how we're supposed to fear. We're supposed to get into the word of God and understand that this is the greatest privilege. This is the only way we can know his personality. This is the only way we can know how he thinks. And his, he gave us an entire book to show us, and it will give us strength. It will give us a weapon. I have chosen to be faithful. I determined to live in your regulations. I cling to your laws. Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I will pursue your commands, for you expand my understanding. Here's the thing. It will give us joy. Joyful are people of integrity, who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. If you're lacking joy, there's a way right here. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his path. There is a way. It says, I will thank you by living as I should. This is the way we thank him. Listen, he blesses us for doing it, but this is how we show him back. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If we're like, I just don't even know how to stop. There's, this is how, the word of God. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. He is the great I am of our lives. I plead with believers to know the difference between Abraham Lincoln and the word of God or to know it in context. To read it from the front to the back, it is, it is such power. I love this. He promises, for the Lord God is our sun and our shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. The Lord will withhold hold no good things for those who do what is right. He will never withhold something good from us. Never. Never, never, never. But we have to know his word. I have people say all the time, I don't hear from God. Why don't I hear from God? I mean, listen, God speaks so clearly. When we need help and it's not in the word of God, he will speak. But he wants us to crave it. He wants us to desire it. He wants us to say, whatever it says in here, this is how it is for me. This is it. It is everything. I wanted to show you this painting. Um, I saw this in 2010. And it's funny because I was just giving a tour the other day. And, and we were talking about this, but um, I saw this painting in 2010, and I saw the real painting, and I literally, that was the year, like I said, it was coming out of, you know, darkness, really, and I stood there, and I stopped, and I went home, and I tried to tell my husband about this painting, and I couldn't even get through it. I just got so choked up, and um, he searched high and low and found a print for me because we couldn't buy the original but he found this print for me. And this is the woman reaching out to Jesus. And it's that second before she touches his hand and she gets the miracle. And I was like, this was my 2010. I had been reaching for a year and a half and I knew I was so close to having my marriage healed, my family healed. My... And it's that, do you know what reaching out looks like? It looks like a three- by five-card ring of scriptures. 
standing on them, believing them. And I'm telling you, I mean, you guys, I got, I have gotten so many more miracles than I even asked for. I have gotten miracle after miracle after miracle. I mean, so I was reaching out for one miracle, but I got 10. But the reaching out is devouring and, and longing for the scriptures and knowing that this is the power. I want to read this last scripture. This is how we need to be. This is, sums it up. This is it. Oh, God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. This is how we go to the scriptures. I earnestly search. I, every time I read the Bible, I'm like, Lord, please open my eyes. Help me understand how you think. Help me understand what, how, who you are. Help me give me divine inspiration through the study of the word. So, you know, I earnestly search. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory, which you will find power and you will find glory in the word of God. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live. Lifting up my arms to you in prayer, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. That's what scripture is. It's the richest feast. Do you go in there expecting to be satisfied? You go in there saying, this is the greatest privilege. This is the greatest feast ever. You satisfy me more than richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Do you lie awake thinking about scriptures through the night? Because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand. Hold me securely.